Thank you for that prayer, Dad. Well, good morning. <clears throat> he is right. My voice is starting to hurt after uh, the two first services. I talked to the guys in the sound booth. I was like, just play the audio, and I'll make all the motions and everything. But they said my lip syncing wasn't very good. So, uh, so we'll just have to go like this. Um, I'm really thankful for this opportunity to be able to share with you from the Word of God. Um, I really appreciate First Baptist's focus on missions as a church. It's so encouraging to see this whole month dedicated to uh, missions and talking about God's plan around the world. Um, well, my family actually started going here at First Baptist when I was about 10, and it's just been such a blessing growing up here, sitting under the, the teaching of Pastor Tim, um, as well as being able to be mentored in, in youth group by Pastor Chad, and, and really, I think me being used by God to, to teach Pastor Chad patience as uh, he had to put up with me over and over and over again through youth group. But no, really, it's been such a blessing, you know, um, later being encouraged and given opportunities to share and teach here in church and as we were preparing to go to Mozambique and, and now um, being prayed for and supported and, and encouraged by you all um, as we work in Mozambique among the Mayando people. Well, on Wednesday night, Jenny and I will actually share a little bit more about what the Lord's doing in Mozambique among the Mindo. But this morning, I want to share with you something that the Lord's really put on my heart and taught me during our time in Mozambique. When thinking of missions, we often think of evangelism. We often think of individuals and especially saving individuals from hell. But when you look at the plan of God, you see something much bigger than that. You see the church. Not only individuals, but a group of people called by God and saved by the power of the Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, to be his bride, to be the bride of Christ. Well, this month, our, our theme as a church is that we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And you know, the, the church is God's vision and purpose globally. God wants to take those who are in spiritual darkness and peoples from every language and culture and unify them into one body, the church, so that he might be glorified through them. And this really is what missions is all about. For us to go to the mind of people, it's not merely with the focus of saving individuals, though that's part of it. But our mission in working with the mind of people, and the reason for missions in general, is to bring people who are outside of the family of God into the family of God, the church. And just to clarify, I don't mean bringing them into a, a church building, obviously. I'm talking about rather bringing them into the body of Christ that they might be reunited with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that they might experience the fellowship with other believers. You see, since God um, created mankind, he, he wanted them to be able to experience this unity in relationship uh, that the Trinity has had since eternity past. And, and even after Adam and Eve broke that, that relationship, God has been working on his plan to reunite man to himself. And not just that, but Christ wants one day to present to himself the unified body of believers, the pure and spotless lamb, or pure and spotless bride of Christ, the church. When the church is functioning how God intends. Uh, the Holy Spirit unifies us as believers so that we can be a witness to the ends of the earth. This is what missions is all about. 
the Lord has really used a passage in Ephesians to encourage me as it talks about the church and how it functions together as we function together to glorify Christ. It's so amazing for us to think that Lord willing one day um, that God could do a work in the mind of people's lives and open their eyes um, that they might come to know him. This passage has also really been neat because it just shows me the, the value and the beauty of the body of Christ, the church. So just to understand a bit of the context of, uh, uh, of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, um, this is a passage that, um, uh, that has just been so encouraging. It, starting out in, to look at the context, starting out in uh, chapter th- uh, 1 through 3, uh, Paul lays out for the Ephesians the plan of God since the beginning of time. He, he shares with them how they were separated from God. They were uh, dead in their sins and they had no hope because as chapter 2 verse 12 says, they were, separated, or they were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant promise. This is because the Ephesians as Gentiles were outside of God's covenant people Israel. However, in Jesus Christ, the requirements of the law had been fulfilled, and now the two divided groups became one. Chapter 2, verse 15, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So finally, in chapter 3, Paul talks about something that was a mystery long ago, but that was um, revealed through Christ, that now, chapter 3, verse 6, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, um, members of the same body as Israel. And so when we come to chapter 4 in Ephesians, uh, Paul is saying that since this is true, since you Ephesians are fellow heirs with Israel, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one also who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves um, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself in love. So I want to kind of work through these verses. So going back up to the top, it says, again, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of a manner of the calling which you have been called. So what is this calling? Uh, what does this even mean? It, it means to live in a way worthy of the gospel. In, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 7 through 8, Paul says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So we have been lavished with this amazing, um, undeserved grace. And here in chapter 4, Paul says that our lives should reflect that. He says, uh, this calling, this gospel, walk worthy of it, be a, a living illustration of God's grace. Or as John Piper once said about this verse, act in a way that fits the great value and glorious nature of God and the gospel and your calling. Well, after talking about walking worthy of our calling, he goes on to explain what this looks like. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When considering these verses, it's really convicting to me as I think of myself and other believers. With humility, I am so often so proud, especially when I'm talking with somebody that I don't agree with. How often do I listen to another person in humility and patience and then in turn speak in humility, patience, and gentleness? And then he goes on to say, bearing with one another in love. Another, another way of saying this is to endure with or, or to hold up one another in love. I mean, what does this even look like? I mean, how is this even possible when people don't think exactly like me? I know, I know, you're thinking, thank God they don't, but that's actually not very nice. No, I'm joking. But, um, but I want to come back to this bearing with one another in love. I'm going to look at this a little bit later. Um, but how is this even possible? I, I want to give you a little bit of a hint. It, it's possible because we have much more in common with other believer, believers with whom we disagree than we would think. But we're going to look at this a little bit later. He ends his thought here by saying, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's about to expound on these verses, but here in the middle of verse 4, he shows how these things are possible in verse 2, how it's possible to live worthy of the calling. Living worthy of the calling and all that Paul says that this entails is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit um, and through the unity that is founded in Christ. Something really interesting here is that Paul uses this word translated eager, being eager to maintain the unity the, weak word, the, the, the Greek word swadadzo means to endeavor, make haste, to exert oneself. So you see, this unity and peace that Paul's talking about here it is not something that Paul is saying we should just kind of passively hope for, but rather something we should actively pursue. And he shares the reason why in verses 4 through 6. He goes on to say, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now these verses are central to this whole passage. It says that 
as believers, we are united in Christ. We're, we're one in Christ and under his headship. And therefore, we're all part of the same body of God. Now, I, before I go into this a little bit more, I do need to make one thing very clear. I want to clarify something. This is talking about believers. It's not talking about just any building labeled church, and it's not talking about just any person claiming to be Christian. There are doctrinal issues that are essential to our beliefs. For example, the inspiration of Scripture, the, the deity of Christ, etc. These are doctrinal issues that are non-negotiable. That's why Paul says, one Lord, one faith, you know, not, not many. However, there are also important issues that are debated by believers, where both sides are true believers and part of the body of Christ, Things like election and free will, or speaking in tongues, or miracles. And, you know, these are not to mention the less significant debates like what the color of the carpet of the church should be, or, dare I say, maybe even current events? No, let's just, let's just go back to here. <clears throat> these are things that are discussed within the body of Christ. They are not the determining factors of whether someone is a believer or not. So as we move forward, keep in mind we're talking about believers. Even though there are different local bodies of believers with differing views in those local bodies, the fact is we are part of the one body of Christ and the one spirit. Has this, you know, um, that means that we are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I mean, has that ever really sunk in for you before? I know for me, it hadn't until I lived with the Mayendo people in Mikaoni, where there aren't any believers. There's no body of Christ there. I got to the point where when we went out to the city of Kelimani, where there are believers, I didn't care as much that I disagreed with some of the local churches about these debatable issues. But what I did care about was having fellowship with these people who believed and were preaching the true gospel. Because when we're part, because they, they were part of the body of Christ. They are part of the body of Christ, the church. And I tell you, when you get to that point where you hold believers close like that and you see them as precious, it is just amazing. Because you realize that even though they have different opinions than you, you are all part of the same body, believing in one faith, one baptism, one God. You know, I'm not sure what it is about us humans, but we really like to separate ourselves from others, uh, kind of stiff arm and exclude others. It's so common to hear of a group of believers who are serving the same Lord, they're part of the body of Christ, and yet they find something that they disagree over and they quickly separate themselves. Now, I'm not saying that there are not issues to be discussed and debated. But my question is, why are we so quick to be divided rather than united around one spirit? I love how Paul mentions here the word one so many times. It's like he's trying to remind us, there isn't any other option. There isn't any other church but the one that Christ established. It's like he's saying, so if Christ is unified, you know, the, the Trinity is a perfect unity. Christ is unified. You're all members of the same body, the church then why and how are you being divided? Now, if you're tempted to say, well, Paul's situation's a little bit different. You know, here we're talking about some pretty serious differing opinions, you know, even differing ideas of ministry. Well, just remember, 
that he's talking to the, the Gentiles, uh, the Ephesians who are Gentiles. And in chapter 1 and 2, he talked about how they were separated from God, from the covenant of Abraham, but now in Ephesians 2.15, Christ, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now, the Gentiles were people who were not allowed to worship in the same place of the temple as the Jewish people. They were people who most devout Jews wouldn't really even consider, you know, being friends or marrying. So Paul is saying that Christ has taken these vastly different ethnic groups with vastly different practices and cultures who are at odds with one another, and he's created one new man out of the two, thus making peace. I mean, just imagine this. You can't get more divided than the Jews and Gentiles. And, and yet, Paul says, guys, you've come into the same family through Christ. And in him, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, one Lord, one baptism, and one God. Guys, you can't divide that. The Godhead is a perfect trinity that has perfect unity and, and that same perfect trinity wanted us to be able to experience this amazing relationship and, and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ invited us into this unity. So for us who are believers, it doesn't matter if we fall on different sides of an argument as other believers, from other believers. If, if we are both believers, we are one in Christ. And that can't be changed no matter how much we want to separate ourselves from others, brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree. You know, we need to stop looking at the world with blinders, with this type of vision, to stop looking at the church with this type of vision. You know, if, there, if there's a church down the road that is preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, they are part of this family. The church is to reflect the unity of the Trinity. As the church, we are invited to experience this relationship with God and, and in the church to have a small taste of what that unity in the Trinity is like. In John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus prays that they, that's us, may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you hear that? So that the world may believe that you sent me. This is absolutely amazing that Christ invites us into this fellowship of the Godhead, but let's not miss his purpose in this. It's that the world may believe in Christ. This is missions. The, the unity of the church is the launching point for the Great Commission. I want to say it again. The unity of the church is the launching point for the Great Commission. Just take a second to think about the last conversation you had with another believer with whom you disagreed, whether it was in person or on Facebook, um, if an unbeliever overheard that conversation, and if it was on Facebook, they probably did, would they be drawn to Christ by the humility and patience and gentleness that they saw in how you were speaking? Or would they be like, ooh, I would rather not get to know those people? Or maybe you're very guarded in your speech. But what's really convicting to me is how sometimes I think of other believers. If an unbeliever were able to read my thoughts about a believer with whom I disagree with, would they be like, wow, that Kent Schaefer is amazing? Just the way that, you know, he loves and respects this person that he completely disagrees with. Or 
more likely would they say, wow, that's, uh, he's pretty angry and judgmental, and you know, I could, I'm glad I'm not in the receiving end of that. The world is watching us. Are they being drawn to Christ through the love and unity as a church? God has given us this incredible gift of being part of this one body, and he has a beautiful calling and purpose for us in this unity. It's to proclaim the gospel. However, like it says in verse 3, it isn't easy to attain this unity. It's an effort only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 7, he goes on to say, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is, right here is where the beauty of the church really shines through. So Paul just got done saying that we have all these things in common, that we're all part of the same body, and and, and this body will not be dismembered. Its unity is in Christ, and, and Christ will present it to himself as his perfect bride one day. Now he says that on top of this one faith, hope, and body, that Christ has given each of us gifts for the edification of the whole body. And not only that, but he gives us the grace needed to use these gifts. He's saying here that not only are we part of the same body, but we're all essential members of the body because Christ has given us different gifts that will help the body mature and grow. This is just so awesome to think about. We need one another because Christ has given us different gifts. No one is independent of the body of Christ. No, we're dependent on each other. And this is exciting for us to think about when thinking of the mind of people. I mean, and Lord willing, when he shows them the truth, um, to think that one day those believers in Micaoni will come into this body and what they'll have to offer to the rest of the body of Christ through the gifts that he's given them. Well, going on verses 8 through 10, say, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean? Um, When saying that, but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is one is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So he mentions here the gifts that Christ has given the church and how he accomplished this through his death and resurrection. And then Paul comes to verse 9, and it's like he gives us a little reminder of the cost of this victory, of the cost of this unity, of, of the cost of these gifts. We should never take for granted the cost that was paid to reunite us with God. When Paul talks about he descended into the lower regions, we, we can't look at this as like a mere inconvenience for Christ or, or his death as like a passing torment. I mean, historically speaking, many people are crucified like Christ. But the greatest sacrifice for him was his unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. No one has ever experienced unity and fellowship like that before, and no one will ever experience the breaking of that relationship like Christ did. Total separation from God is the absolute worst kind of death. And yet this is what Christ experienced when he took on the punishment for our sins. For the first time in eternity, he was cut off from the Father. 
And he did this so that we might be reunited with God and become part of Christ's body. In verses 11 and 12, they go on to say, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So not only did Christ unify us into one body, not only did he uh, provide each member with different gifts for the edification of the body, but he also gave us leaders in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It is so awesome that Christ has provided for his church in this way. I mean, are you beginning to see the beauty of the church? Are you beginning to see why we're so excited when we're thinking about the mind of people being, coming into this body of believers? Are you beginning to see the whole goal of missions around the world? The gospel isn't just about me being reunited with God. The, the, the gospel... The gospel's about us being invited into fellowship with God and experiencing the unity of the body of believers and then going out and proclaiming this message. That is why Christ gave gifts to all of us because we need one another. um, That is why he gave us leaders because we need to be equipped and built up in order to mature and be ready for the work of ministry. Well, in verses 13 and 14, he goes on, until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. These leaders are intended to equip the members so that they might be brought to spiritual maturity. But not only is this equipping to enable them to be ready for the ministry, to be unified in the faith, um, but it's also to ground them so that we're not um, going back and forth and listening to every false doctrine. First, I want to point out that maturing is a process. It, It takes time. It takes other believers in our lives. God is growing all of us, and he's maturing all of us each and every day. Remember, Paul says in verse 11 that Christ gave us leaders to equip the saints for ministry. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is a process of believers discipling believers in the faith, leading them to maturity so that the body of Christ will be ready for the work of ministry. This is, again, the ultimate goal for missions. Uh, Not just that people are saved and brought into Christ's church, but, but that they're growing and maturing part of the church so that we could collectively glorify God. And lastly, he says again, as believers grow and are discipled, Christ desires that we'd be able to hold against wrong doctrine. But it's interesting how this connects with the next verse in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So instead of being swept by every, away by every false doctrine, as believers, we're supposed to be growing uh, in maturity and guarding against these false doctrines. But note here, he says, speaking the truth in love. Th- this phrase is so interesting here because it's right after talking about don't fall into false doctrine. 
you know, so often we are very quick to point out errors in thinking of other believers. And, and sometimes we run so quick to give a pat answer to questions and doubts that people may have that are growing and struggling in their faith. But here, Paul encourages us, speak the truth, yes. Don't hide the truth, but speak it in love. The New English translation of the Bible translates this verse by, but practicing the truth in love. In other words, the way that we live should be characterized by truth in love. Not just truth, not just love, but truth in love. This love enables us to take the time to listen to someone who disagrees with us. It, it enables us to slow down and allow a new believer to take the time that they need to process a new truth. Love sets the stage for everything in the church. Christ's love is what founded the church. And, and as we mature in Christ, Paul says that that growth process should be characterized by truth and love. Well, then verse 16 goes on to talk about Christ being the head of the church by saying, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our unity is formed around Christ. He is the head of the church. The church grows from him, and each member is united and fit together around him. No matter how many differences of opinion we may have with other members of the body of Christ, the truth remains we are part of the same body, and we are connected to the same head. And Jesus, as the head of the church, holds the church together. The members of the body may seem to have nothing in common. They be, maybe are from two uh, opposed racial and social groups like the Jews and Gentiles. However, because of Jesus Christ, they are now united into one. I love how verse 16 goes on to say, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We, the members of his body, don't always work properly. In fact, Sometimes we don't even want to stay connected to the head. We don't always appreciate and learn from other members of the body. I mean, honestly, sometimes we think we're doing Christ a favor by dismembering part of his body. Oh, oh they think so differently th from me. You know, they must not even be part of the body of Christ. But Paul says the whole body is fitted together and works together. Every member of the body is necessary and works together to build up the body of Christ when there's love. Paul mentions love here three times. He says, bearing with one another in love, um, speaking the truth in love, and being built up in love. And I think he mentions it so much because he knows how difficult it is for us to love one another. Even though the whole church was founded on the selfless love of Christ, we, it's as if we habitually forget the love and forgiveness that we ourselves received. But when the church builds itself up in love and each member of the body um, contributes to the rest with the gifts that God has given them, it is a beautiful thing. Leaders equipping other members, each member bearing with one another in love. And then as they're built up and growing, others drawn to become part of this body for the glory of God. I mean, isn't that awesome? 
This is our mission as a church. It is the growth and building up of the body of Christ all around the world. You know, if, if we see the church as a bunch of um, disconnected individuals, like loosely associated by a common belief, people we don't understand the church. The church is one. Its founder is one. And his body is one. When someone stops trying to reach God on their own and, and instead accepts Christ's sacrifice on their behalf, they enter into this beautiful thing that we call the body of Christ, the church. In the church, even though all the members are vastly different with different gifts, they are bound together into one body under the headship of Christ. They're invited into the unity and fellowship that the God had had since eternity past. And they're called to experience this unity with other members of the body. The body of Christ, the church, it's what we were missing so much when we were in McAuney. It's what we cherish so much when we went out to the city of Kilimani where there are believers. It's, it's what is so refreshing when we come back here to the U.S. And this is our hope for the whole world as the gospel goes out. This is the reason for missions. This is what we pray for when praying for the Mindo people. And I encourage you, please, be praying with us for the unborn Mindo church, as well as the many unborn churches around the world. And let us pray together for the unity of believers all around the world, that we might uh, go out into the world unified, clinging to Christ, who is the head of the church. And may we let Jesus' prayer be our prayer as well, that we, the church, may be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your church. It is so beautiful, Lord, that you've brought people from every language, every culture, every nation, um, and you're continuing to build up and grow your church, Lord, to present her before yourself as a pure, spotless bride of Christ. Lord, I just pray that we would go out unified, that we would see the unity that we have in you. Lord, that you would just help us to go out, Lord, as one, um, proclaiming your message to the ends of the earth for your glory in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we conclude our service this morning. Kent and I were talking as much as two weeks ago about uh, what he would be presenting today, and I came across a hymn in our hymnal, the lyrics of which I think are absolutely perfect uh, to conclude our service with, but nobody would know the song, so I rewrote it to a tune that you will recognize. Let's sing together, Our God Has Made Us One.
are dismissed. Thank you.